it's really funny. You know, up until tonight, we had no offering. We have no budget. We have no place. My office is Starbucks. And we have all these people, and we have no money. It's, it's like glorious. Now, I'm not sure how long we can make this happen that way, but we're going to try, all right? Uh, I'm going to turn this over to Tammy, let her uh, say a word, and then we're going to go right into the message. We're in 1 Kings chapter 17. You can find that in the index part of your Bible in the front where it says 1 Kings, all right? Well, this is a great passage, and when Phil was uh, praying about what God might say to him, he did tell me, he said, I'm a little rusty. I haven't preached in a few weeks, so I got the preview. And I was really praying over this, this passage, and I love this passage. Maybe you guys are familiar with this, but let me ask you, if, if God's not doing the unexplainable and the unpredictable and the uncool, he's not in your life. Did you think about it that way? I mean, we have this passage in 1 Kings 17, and here's Elijah, and God comes and he says, Elijah, I want you to go to King Ahab, and I want you to tell him it's not going to rain. Well, you know, that's pretty noble to go to a king and say it's not going to rain. But then he says, I want you to go hide under the brook after you tell him. Now, does God ever tell you to do something and he tells you to go hide? Well, I feel we've been in hiding for a few weeks, so I can relate to that. And then God comes and he says, I'm going to have the raven feed you. And I want you to just be still while the raven come and bring you water and bring you food. And, you know, as I meditated the last few days on this verse, God said, Tam, I really want you and Phil just to be quiet because I am doing a work in your day you wouldn't believe if told. I would have never guessed this. We never had plans of birthing a church. We never had, had plans of, of doing this. And God said, I want to do a fresh work in your life. About five years ago, Phil and I began praying that God would do something fresh in our lives, something that would be unmistakably God. And I will tell you that what has happened in one week is God. See, no man could do what's happened here. Only God could do what's happened here. And after Elijah sat and he was quiet, God told him to get up, and now go, and I will have the widow take care of you. Now, if it was me, I would say, do you have any rich kings? You know, a widow? Really, God? And so when God said, Tammy, the widows are going to be there, which means it's me. It's not someone of wealth or someone of substance. It's me. And I want you to know tonight, God, this, guys, this is God here tonight. This is no man. This is nobody's ability. This is nothing but God's precious spirit moving among his people saying, I want to do a fresh work. And so as you have your Bibles open, um, I'm so excited for Phil to come and, and share with you the passage that God's laid on his heart. Thanks, Greg. All right. Well, I'm going to use a handheld because the old wireless ear thing um, didn't work. All right. First Kings chapter 17. Let's pray. Father, in the, in the name of the only God, the living God, the most high God, we ask you, we invite you to come into our presence in a powerful way. We pray that you would speak in such a way that hearts would be turned toward you, that we would know you and your power and your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible simply says this, and the word of the Lord came. Think about that a moment. The word of the Lord came. It's almost like a force that enters into your, into your world, into the realm of where you are. It's not simply reading something like you would literature. No, the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord is coming to you tonight, not from me, but only through me, because he is the word, the written and the living word. And it says, came to him saying, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Now, what's really interesting, if you back up and look to verse 7, it says that, and it happened after a while, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. 
That's interesting, isn't it? Anybody's brook dried up lately? What do you do? What do you do when the brook dries up? What you do is you do what all of us do, and you probably get a little bit questioning to God. You get a little bewildered. You get a little bit set back, and you think, poor me. And we all do that, but all of a sudden, God begins to do something. Look what he says. I have commanded a widow, verse 9, to provide for you there. So before he ever told Elijah, God had told a widow, you're going to provide for the prophet. The most unlikely source, when God gets ready to do something, it's always going to be from the most unlikely source. I mean, just mark it down. You think, well, this is how I think God's going to work. Have you ever noticed how he never does it that way? You go, you go, God, what are you doing? He goes, I'm God. You're not. Just trust me in this one. And I go, I know God, but it'd be help if you'd send me a text. I just got to notice today that my text limit was over for the week. I got 127 emails in one hour and 10 minutes. I hope I got back to you, all right? <laughs> Verse 10, so he arose and he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there. You see, God always has a provision before you have a problem. It's a principle of Scripture. God always has a provision before you have a problem. And look what she was doing. She was gathering sticks. She was going to make a little fire to cook on. And he came to her and said, please bring me water in a cup that I may drink. It sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? Except remember, God had already told him that there was going to be a widow there that was going to provide for him. So here she is gathering sticks. She's down to her last just substance that she has. And she's going to cook her final meal and die. And the prophet comes and says, Hey, would you bring me a little water? Wow. She was going to get it, and he called her and says, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in, in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself that I, my, and my son, that we may eat it and die. You know what I love about God is that he always waits for the last minute to come through. Now, I really don't love that, honestly. I'd like him to kind of give me a little advance warning, you know. We're, you're going to be all right, Phil, but you're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death slowly. <laughs> God, do we have to walk? Can we not run? Haven't you ever wanted to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Well, he says, no, we're not going to do it that way. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not fear. Oh, right. I'm cooking my last meal. There hasn't been rain in the land because you shut up the ceilings, Elijah. Because you were bringing judgment on the land through God. And you tell me, do not fear. And go as you have said, but make me a small cake first. I don't know about you, but just going, are you serious? I mean, it sounds like your husband, doesn't it? I know you have a lot to do, but let me lay on the couch here and would you fix me a little popcorn? Maybe... Bring me a soda, you know, or a beer, something. I know it is shocking. Some men drink beer. You just have to get over it, ladies. Look what it says. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Do not fear. He says, bring first and afterwards make some for yourself. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. 
And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. How interesting. Here's, here's Elijah. He's by the brook. Day by day, the water is running down this stream. He hears it flowing over as it careens over the rocks there in that place where he had him. And all of a sudden, he, the water begins to run out. The sound of the water stops. And maybe he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Maybe he said, where is your power? Maybe he said, where are you, God, when I need you most? I can't even hear you, a whisper coming out of your mouth. Sound of the water, it was gone. What do you do when the brook dries up? Well, you panic, you give up. Sometimes you grow desperate in your faith. Then you hear something. You hear a faint, a faint sound rising up from the depths of your soul ever rising like a mighty wind, loud yet soft, mighty yet gentle, distant yet close. It is still a small voice that whispers, confidence and strength. It's like the words of the prophet Isaiah when he said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. If you let your mind stay anywhere but on him, you will not have peace. It's when you begin to drift and you go, well, you know, I think this is going to happen and I worry about that. Hey, it's human. We all do it. Verse 18, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, have you ever noticed how, how God comes in the most mysterious ways? I'm going to tell you about those, some of those tonight. I want you to see, first of all, that God shapes your life to fulfill his plan. Very few of us would choose some of the difficult and dark times in our life, would we? In fact, we would choose none of those. But do you ever think that God does that? He's shaping. He's doing something. You see, when you read this story, this is not a story about a woman who was going to get extra oil and flour. It's a story about a prophet whom God was going to greatly use in a greater way in the days ahead because of the widow in his life. See, his faith would need to be tried in the furnace of God's refining fire. This is more than a story. It's your story and it's my story. It's about my faith and your faith being tested every day because God wants to take and shape you and mold you into the image of, his, uh, of the invisible son, the invisible God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Tammy said to me a, a few months back, she said, uh, you know, it's been a long time since we trust, trusted God for something big. Ha ha. Thanks, Tammy. God says to uh, Elijah, he says, I want you to go to Zarephath. Now, that may not seem like much to you because you, it might sound like go to Brea. Pick in your, get in your car and drive to Brea. No, it's 75 miles of desert. And there's been a drought. So if you think it was dry in the desert when it rains, think about when it never rains for a couple of years. This journey first to the widow and then to Jezebel, that false prophet, whom uh, Elijah would have to face the prophets of Baal there on Mark, Mount Carmel. And it says here that the, he, looked, uh, he looked, probably looked at his life and said, this seems like a, a setback, a demotion in my life, because what are you doing? You're sending me to a widow? But it was a spiritual promotion. You see, God wants to promote every one of us spiritually to a new level, a new level of authority that we have in the kingdom of God. And whenever God takes you on that journey of a spiritual promotion, you always know that you're going to confront new enemies of the kingdom. 
Because see, everything that was going on was for the purpose of defeating the enemies of the crown. That is, the king of kings and the lord of lords. Wicked rulers inhabit wicked places and high places and strategic mountains in all the nations and all the cities of the world. God didn't send Elijah to a river. He sent him to a brook. Think about that. The brook would dry up at seam first. He sent him to the place where he was going to get to the place of desperation first. So it is with us. God sent Elijah to the widow to test his humility. Can you walk humbly before me? He would receive charity at the hands of the widow who was going to die, a widow whom God had preordained. He said, see, I have commanded you, the widow, to provide. I want to tell you a story. It's an interesting story. I'm going to have my friend Marcel just raise his hand right here. Marcel, you are my sermon illustration tonight. I think it was about a year and a half ago, Marcel. Maybe it's been two years. And we began a friendship just uh, really through your daughter singing. And, and, uh, and I love you, brother. I really do. And so through that, uh, we, were, we met at Starbucks. And, and uh, of course we did. And, uh, and I led Marcel to faith in Christ. Now that's where the story begins for me. But it began before that for him. See, Marcel had a tough time going through that faith door. When he did, he said, wow, it's so easy. But several years back, he had a home out in Riverside. And it was uh, some people were having a tough time making their rent. And they were Christians. And so he helped them out. He was kind, showed the kindness of God, really. And they wanted to prophesy over him. They wanted to speak a word of, of the Lord to, to him. And they said to him, God is showing us that you, he's going to use you to launch a church plant. That was years before he became a Christian. I think he kind of forgot about it. It was reminded to him here not too long ago. He, he came last Sunday night to our gathering we had, and he came up to me, and he said, I want to do anything I can to help with this church plant. You see, what God knew and I didn't know and Marcel didn't know was that there was a, God was working behind the scenes. He was kind of, I like to call him Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> he's sneaking around, you know, and he's bringing people into our life and doing things. You're going, God, what are you up to? It's, uh, it's pretty amazing what God does. In eternity past... God, before the foundations of the world, had determined that we would be gathering in this room for this purpose. That the Holy Spirit would be calling on an iPhone. <laughs> God bless you, Marlene. We don't want to embarrass anyone in this room, but it was Marlene. Secondly, faith rises above fear. There's two faith principles. If you're taking some notes, these are not in your notes. Jot them down. First one is this. Your difficulty is God's opportunity. If you'll start looking at your difficulty like that, it'll change your whole perspective. Your difficulty is God's opportunity. The second one is this one. Kingdom assignments. Kingdom assignments expand according to your faith. Kingdom assignments expand according to your faith. You see, when God dries up the brook, he opens up Zarephath. God was teaching both the prophet and the widow to overcome fear with faith. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, 
for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Verse 9 says, Elijah simply acted on the word of God. Go to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow there. You know, it's interesting. Back there by the brook, you know what God provided for him? God provided meat, bread, and water. Now when he gets over here to Zarephath, he's only going to provide bread and water. You see, God reduced his provision in order to increase his faith. That's what God does. He will reduce the provision. He will reduce what you have because that's the only way he can take you up on the faith barometer. This is how God works. He puts, you before a, puts before you a challenge and it moves you out of your comfort zone because he wants to get you in the God zone. Every, you know, everybody loves a, a, a comfort zone, don't you? You know, my big ones is, you know, your personal space. How many of you know a close talker? You got a close talker. And you try to move back and back and, you know, they've got you against the wall. I knew this guy named Jim. I won't tell you his last name because you'd probably Google him and find him or something. But Jim was about six foot five and about six foot of him was from the waist up. He was just a tall torsoed man. And whenever he would talk, he had this amazing ability because of the way he was structured, he could lean. <laughs> he could lean like feet into you all the time, and you'd be moving back. Jim, Jim, give me a break, you know, and I finally go, time out, Jim, you're a little close. I go, oh, I'm sorry, and he'd lean back. One time, Jim, you know, he always, you know those guys always want to help you do stuff? I was going to baptize Jim. Now, this is in this church where, if you remember those churches where you had the baptistry up in and the choir was right behind him, there's this big glass, you know, aquarium in front of you. So I said, now, Jim, all I want you to do is just bend your, le your legs. Let me just put you down the water, bring you up. He said, no, I've got to help you. I said, no, Jim, do not help me. Now, remember, he's a long torso man with the short legs, right? He's a dachshund, basically, with a, <laughs> with a giraffe leg, upper body or something. I don't know. So, Jim, he, I put him down in the water. And you know when you do kind of a setup like that and you jerk? Well, Jim does a setup. All six feet of the upper body began, came up out of there. The water began to slash and it dunked. It just splashed all over the entire choir on the first two rows. Jim looked at me and goes, I guess that didn't work well, did it? <laughs> no, it didn't, Jim. Let me do it. The message is, let God do it. Your efforts are not that good and not that helpful to God. Let God do it. Let God do what God does best. Let God take you in that zone and let him do something great. You see, God wants to give us all greater access into the lives of people with whom we encounter every single day. God wants to give us greater power as we lock arms together for the kingdom of God and for this church. We need to be like the people spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11 where it says, men and women who through faith subdued kingdoms. Hey, that's not just talking about physical kingdoms. It's talking about spiritual kingdoms as well. They worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. You ever read over there in Peter where it talks about Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour? Hey, you can stop the mouth of a lion just in the name of Jesus. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned the flight of armies of aliens, women receive their dead back to life again. You know what I've come to understand? When I sit across from a man and I challenge him to be a man, I was talking to a guy the other day and I said, hey, suppose, see those two guys over there? 
And I was just kind of joking around. So don't take me serious right now because somebody go, you know what he said? This is a joke, ladies. Are you ready? I'm standing with another guy and I said, hey, if I said to you those two guys over there, I think we could take them. What do you think? He, if you're a guy, you're going to go, yeah, we probably could. <laughs> Doesn't matter. They could be nine feet tall and made of twisted steel. <laughs> yeah, I could do it. But if I say we could probably take those guys, and the guy goes, I don't know, they're pretty big. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to melt. I go, yeah, you're probably right. Let's just let's go get a pizza. <laughs> but when the spine of one man is stiffened, he stiffens the, the, the spine of a hundred men. These are times that call for courage and great faith. The kingdom is being auctioned to the lowest bidder by those who politely acknowledge God and his promises, but then live their lives as though God needed their help. He doesn't need us. We need him. He is the high and lofty one who is exalted and majestic in his presence and in his power. I love, amen? I love this, this quote from T.D. Jakes. He said, you face your greatest opposition when you're closest to your biggest miracle. I love that. Let me take you to this next one. God's kingdom is marked by the miraculous. I wish uh, all of you could have been there last Sunday night. I don't know where we would have put you. Um, there's Cindy right there. Cindy, raise your hand. She's been so gracious, her and Wayne, to have us over at their house. And I, I actually asked them if they would take a wall out. Because <laughs> it's so cozy and nice there. And, but uh, it looked like something out of the New Testament. We had people like here. I mean, I'm looking out here, and I can see out through the window. There are people standing out there looking in. Um, And one guy said, you know, it was, we had people standing outside listening through the open doors, and, and he said, I really expected somebody was going to take some shingles off the roof and lower a paralytic down through the, through the roof. And we really had, had we really thought that God would want us to launch his church in May, on March 18th, and that's going to be our official launch date, by the way. This is just the soft opening. We're doing pretty good. So... Um, so Tammy and I were seated kind of like this, and I got up and I said, hey, tonight we're birthing a church. And I looked out around Tammy, and she's going, oh, we are? And everybody started clapping and singing and jumping, and it was just awesome, you know? And I realized God had ordained it before time, that God had a plan. He was seeking to do something that we didn't understand. And we've seen in the last eight days miracles unfold that I can't even begin to tell you. Just, I mean, just the... The people that have come up, we had a volunteer meeting on Thursday night. I think we had 73 people show up for a volunteer meeting. Everybody got involved. Everybody was excited. Everybody's going, this is awesome. I just look around you. This is a miracle. I want to show you a little video here. It's uh, one that uh, Craig Johnson did. It was based on a message I did on, on January 1st. It's only one minute long, but it's got a great story behind it, and I'll tell you as soon as you watch it. So if we're ready for the video, we'll, uh, we'll take a look here. Okay. 12 is a very significant number in the Bible. In fact, if you study it, you know there are 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. You study further, you find out that um, there were 12 apostles. There are going to be 144,000 witnesses during the Great Tribulation. The New Jerusalem is set with 12 gates. 12 pearls adorn those gates. Not only that, but there are 12 trees within the New Jerusalem, all yielding their fruit all of their seasons. We also see there are 12 fountains that are there. 
There were 120, which was a multiple of 10, that were gathered in that upper room. So on and on we see the number 12 being significant. Now that in and of itself is really neat because I got up and I talked about the significance of 12 in the Bible. And then Craig, without me asking him, pulled a sermon and created that video, which is awesome. And then John Ketchum and Kellen, he called me up that night after he saw the video and he goes, I'm freaking out. And I go, why are you freaking out? He said, because not too long ago, there was a guy named Sean in October, who prophesied that there would be, on February 12, 2012, a boiling over in the church, and that God was going to birth a great church that was going to be influential all across the nation. And I sit there and I began to listen and read, and it said, and resources are going to be opened up, this is part of what he said. It's, uh, he said, the, the fire has been turned up. There is a refining you to a point of beauty. You will shine with glory. There is an uncomfortable phase. It isn't warfare because it's God. He's turning up the heat. It's linked to resources. Something in you is changing and linking you to the resources and default purpose. It's been a hot season. Oh, has it? Something is going to happen, a breakthrough. You'll never forget the journey in the glory you're about to receive. This is just a good word. It's something to do with the spirit of a breakthrough and a release of a breakthrough. Listen to me. I am an unprecedented way working something supernatural in your life. And I began to pull all these pieces together and realize that this had nothing to do with me. This had nothing to do with man. God wanted to do something fresh in our life. You may look at the widow gathering sticks, and you may say, I'm like that widow gathering sticks. I'm just trying to get the little resources I can find together to try to function and live my life out. But God has bigger plans for you than that. He's a great God and a big God. God has a miracle, the miracle of the flour and the oil, if you will. You know, Israel went through the wilderness for 40 years. They thought they'd starve. They didn't. Why David thought he would die at the hand of Saul, he didn't. The apostles thought they would drown there in the, in the water, but guess what? They didn't. You see, somehow God was doing something. You may flounder, but you will not be moved. God is ready to do a miracle in your life like the miracle of the widow. Just offer what you have. It may only be some flour and oil, but remember, little in the hand of God is all you really, really need. Leonard Ravenhill, one of my favorite writers. Right, Mary? Mary used to type the manuscripts for Ravenhill. He said this, when the church isn't supernatural, it's superficial. You know what happens? All churches start out, all, all, they all start out as a movement, and they become a machine. They just crank it out, and then they finally become a monument. Now, I don't know how you really keep them as a movement, but I want you to know I believe this is a movement, and I believe if I can stay out of the way long enough, I think it can be a movement. Because this isn't about me. This is about him, about what he wants to do.
I want to give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. Availability opens the door for opportunity. When you make yourself available to God, guess what God does? Hey, here's an opportunity for you. It was so cool to see people come up to me after that, that first night and say, hey, you know, I don't know if you know I, Robert over here. I mean, I really didn't know Robert before he goes up. I'm an architect, and, and so if you need something built, ask Robert. Okay? But he comes up and he goes, hey, I want to make my services available any way I can help. Here I am. Mario is, a, is an accountant, CPA, and he says, hey, if I can do the books, I'll do the books. I mean, it's just been one after another, and I'm thinking, this is the way the body of Christ is supposed to work, isn't it? Everybody gets to do something. Turn on the lights. Turn off the lights. That's all you can do? <laughs> then just try to get your timing down a little better, all right? Is that you? Yeah. Way to go, man. That was a headshot. I thought of that. <laughs> and secondly, remember this. Turn your setbacks into comebacks with God. Everybody has a setback. Just because you fail doesn't make you a failure. Right? Have you read the Bible lately? It's a book of losers. Find me a normal story in the Bible. Okay, let me just show you one example, and I'm going to close. Okay, here's a guy named Abraham. He's happy over in Ur of the Chaldees. He's got a nice place to live, undoubtedly. God comes to him and says, I want you to leave your nice home, and I want you to leave your family behind, and I'm going to take you down on a journey to a place you don't know. And along the way, I'm going to have you count sand and count stars. You're never going to have a home. In fact, you're going to traverse back and forth across this land looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. That is not normal. Not normal. So if you look at your life and think, what's going on? Think it not strange, those, those, those trials come in your life. No, no, no. God is doing something in your life. Because you know what? He wants you to, he wants to shape your destiny to look like his plan. I want us to pray. And then uh, the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a few more songs. Um, but as we pray, I want you just to, just to put yourself into that zone of God's Spirit and say, God, speak to me by your Spirit tonight. Show me what I need to do, who I need to be as a person for you. Father, we just commit our lives to you. God, I thank you for every person here and what you're doing in their life. And I pray, Father, as, uh, as we prepare to, to sing a few more songs, God, I pray that you would allow us to really worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I thank you for every person here. I look out and see these smiling faces and, and these just... Uh, great gifts that you created for your joy and for your pleasure. We are, God, your worshipers. And God, I thank you that uh, regardless who we are, whether it's age or race, God, whether we've been to school, not been to school, God, we are all significant because in your kingdom there are no failures. God, somebody here might feel like one. I just want you to take that out of their heart. Someone here might just feel like they lack direction, don't know the purpose. And God, I pray you'll just start to give them purpose and give them meaning. Some here might not even know if they are sure they know you. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself as the powerful Savior of mankind. And God, as we sing, as we worship, we give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name.